This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Coindesk TV. I am Zach Seward and you are watching The Hash. If you're listening, you're listening on the Coindesk Podcast Network and that's cool too. Thanks for being here. We're joined today by George, Sondali, and Jen. George is going to start us off. Pretty crazy night last night on the news front. And he's going to lead us off with a major development with Grayscale. What do you got? Yeah, tons of news, guys. So my story is about Grayscale. And disclaimer, Grayscale is owned by DCG, which means they have the same parent company as Coindesk. But that doesn't mean I can't tell you about some bad news about them now, does it? <laughs> anyway, so Grayscale has this financial vehicle called GBTC. And what it's supposed to do is give investors price exposure to Bitcoin. It was and it is very critically not an ETF, right? That's an important distinction. It holds actual Bitcoin in a trust on behalf of investors for a fee. In the early days when there weren't any products like it, GBTC traded at a premium to the price of Bitcoin, which means you had to pay more than the Bitcoins were so you could have in this product that sort of kind of traded like a stock. Fast forward to now, and we have a bunch of other types of Bitcoin ETFs in places like Canada and Europe. And we have you know this futures-based ETF in the US. But what we don't have yet is a spot Bitcoin ETF. In plain English, we do have this Bitcoin ETF in the United States that requires fancy financial contracts, futures, to mimic the price of Bitcoin instead of them just holding the Bitcoin in spot to mimic the price of Bitcoin. Seems silly, right? So Grayscale is like, hey, SEC, we have this trust thing called GBTC. It holds Bitcoin. It's kind of like an ETF, but it isn't actually an ETF. So can we just convert it into an ETF and make it easy for people to get exposure to Bitcoin? And the SEC was like, no, which is why we're here. And then the CEO of Grayscale announced that Grayscale is suing the SEC after hiring some high-powered lawyer. And guys, I could talk about details for hours here, but I want to let Zach riff. Okay, I'll riff. Yeah, the quest for the spot Bitcoin (laughs) ETF continues apace in the U.S. And the U.S., it should be said, is really one of the only major markets that doesn't have a spot Bitcoin ETF. So Grayscale, which is a big player in the space, and GBTC, which has become critical actually to the recent developments in the marketplace, and we can get into that later. That is a product that they've long been committed to transferring to an ETF, a true spot Bitcoin ETF. But that is not going to happen anytime soon. And you're right. Now they're mounting this legal campaign to see if SEC can reconsider or at least articulate in full why it is a spot Bitcoin ETF remains so hated by U.S. regulators. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes of this and what ultimately will transpire in legal proceedings. It still seems to be early innings of the legal proceedings. I don't know if it is actually filed yet to sue. They have filed a petition. So there is movement on that front. But Grayscale is indeed framing it as, okay, we're going to sue the government and have them argue in court why this continues to be a sticking point for securities regulators in the US. It's going to be weird to see how this all shakes out, whether there is a protracted fight. But there's been a lot of noise around GPTC, given some of the recent activities in the market and some exposure to some of these now insolvent players who had large GPTC positions that have sort of seemingly led to further risk taking that played out very poorly for them. So it's going to be interesting to see how Grayscale pursues this, given this market condition and whether or not they can ultimately get that product, that spot Bitcoin ETF over the finish line in the U.S. Jen, you're in Canada. They got those things up there. What are your thoughts on this? We've had them for a while. I mean, I say this every time we talk about spot ETFs. I'm so done talking about this. We didn't get the ETF in the bull market. Did we really think it was going to happen now? Like Bitcoin is down 60% for the year. Exchanges are liquidating. Hedge funds are liquidating. People are going insolvent. I just don't think this is the right time. 
especially in the eyes of the SEC, for this to happen. I think regulators are watching what's happening in the market. They are collecting up all of the information. I think we're going to come out of this bear cycle with some heavy-handed regulation that speaks to exactly what's happening. And I would have been very surprised to see this spot ETF go through. That said, I think that the lawyer that Grayscale has brought in does have a good point. Futures ETFs exist. So all of the issues that the SEC is citing in regards to why the spot ETF can't exist don't actually make sense because they've approved the futures ETF that addresses all of those issues. So I see what they're saying. It will be interesting to see how this plays out. So many other countries, just like Canada, have spot ETFs. And so savvy Americans can also gain access and exposure to Bitcoin. Just hold Bitcoin if you want. But George, you sound like me. You You sound a lot like me. (laughs) I I saw Sundali's hand go up. I want her to go first before I just get angry again. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you should get angry. I think, I mean, this is about oversight and control, right? And the SEC doesn't have enough of either of those things to be satisfactory enough for it. I don't know. This wasn't going to be a surprising decision, whether Grayscale was planning to sue over rejection or not. I think given the recent market mayhem, it might still take a while, as Zach said. To be honest, the SEC stance on this has been pretty consistent. Like CME futures market, for instance, that has Bitcoin futures ETFs is regulated by the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And it's clear that the SEC is kind of waiting for someone it has sufficient authority over to come into the picture to be able to approve a spot ETF. I think that this is justified and it'll take a while, but it has a point. And if it wants to be careful... You know, the SEC hasn't been so consistent with their stuff so far. So this is an area where I'm like, okay, you know what? They're sticking to their guns. You know, see this through. Good for you. I'm sorry. I'm playing the devil's advocate. I'm um, on the side of the SEC. Who are we? So George can get angry now. Go ahead. (laughs) One thing you said, Jen, was, okay, we didn't get it in a bull market. What makes you think we'll get in a bear market? In my head, it might be easier, honestly, to approve it in a bear market because imagine if they did approve the spot ETF when Bitcoin is $60,000 and then, you know, whatever, right now we're at 20K and all of these retail investors just got completely screwed. That would look really bad for people who are kind of pushing for the spot ETF. So maybe there's something to be said there. But the other thing you said about what the lawyer said, if we have a futures ETF, why can't we have a spot ETF is completely spot on, right? The things they pointed to in the ruling were... We don't know what the price is going to do because, you know, there's market manipulation. We have Tether FUD. There's going to be a hack on the Bitcoin network. There's a big whale out there that's going to tank the entire thing in just one trade. Okay, great. Then why is there a futures-based ETF, right? This is just some fancy financial contract that the CME people can, you know, make money off of. So what, we're going to just allow there to be a futures ETF? It makes no sense. If the futures ETF is supposed to mimic the price of Bitcoin, Great. All of these things that affect the price of Bitcoin are going to affect the price of the thing that mimics the price. Like, come on, guys, this doesn't make any sense. So while they were consistent with the not approving the spot ETFs, there's an inconsistency in, okay, we're mimicking price. If this affects price, all these risks affect price, then like, why even have a futures ETF? No ETFs. Everyone hold your own Bitcoin. Anyway. I I have to say, George, I love your impression of the SEC citing their issues. Oh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's change gears. Let's go talk about some other stuff that happened last night. All right. We're going to go to Genesis, another digital currency group portfolio company. Full disclosure, DCG also owns Coindesk.com. What we reported last night, according to sources, is that Genesis, which is a big crypto lender and brokerage, 
is down bad given its exposure to Three Arrows Capital and Babel Finance. Now, the best we could get was in the hundreds of millions. That's obviously a big range. But according to sources spoken to by Ian Allison and Danny Nelson, Genesis, a crypto lender, is also feeling the pain that other crypto lenders in the market right now are feeling. So this is a bit unsurprising, right? We're getting some details that they do have exposure to 3AC. This was alluded to really by Michael Morrow, the CEO of Genesis last month. But what we're seeing now is further detail around their exposure and their potential losses when it comes to making loans to the now likely insolvent Three Arrows Capital. Check that. It was earlier this month that Michael Morrow made a tweet about that. So it's interesting to see this come to light based on reporting and sources. Genesis did not comment, but it's really interesting to see that this contagion that we've seen with Three Arrows Capital is slowly trickling across all the big crypto lenders in the space as this hedge fund looked to bring on loan capital to hit a home run that would get them out of the red. And indeed, it didn't work out for them very well. So that is the story there based on reporting. Again, really interesting to see this contagion being spread among the crypto lenders and Genesis did not dodge the bullet. I'm going to toss this to George for his thoughts on this big Genesis scoop. Yeah, a couple things here that I had in mind. First, based on the conversations that I have with people at Genesis, I can say that most of these people are traders through and through, and, and sure, they did lose hundreds of millions of dollars. But expected loss is part of doing business in finance. And, and if you're a big dog, you're a big dog. And until I see anything to suggest otherwise, I'm going to assume Genesis is still a big dog. It's kind of how play the game, right? You're a trader, you're a trader. You're going to make a lot of money. You're going to lose some money on some trades. Just how it goes. The other thing is that we're talking about all these lenders, this contagion risk, people lending money to people who are lending money to people who are lending money. It's so eerily similar to what we saw in the great financial crisis in 2007 and 2008, 2009. A lot of these big financial institutions run into trouble when they start lending a lot of money to each other. And I remember, you know, the big cynical man I am when it comes to everything that's not Bitcoin is, okay, so what is DeFi doing? And everyone kept pointing to, oh, I can get flash loans. Oh, I can get a loan without going through a bank. Oh, I can get a loan here. I can get a loan here. It turns out everyone was getting a loan from here and then taking that loan and getting a loan from here and getting a loan from here. And that's a little sketchy. So while this stuff is unwinding, I don't really know who to get angry at or who to blame other than like ourselves, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. I think Genesis will be fine for the time being. They're just one of the big players in the space providing loans, but they're decidedly different than the retail investors in Celsius, say, who are putting their money in there and their money's getting lent out in ways that they don't know. Genesis is a more sophisticated investor than just, you know, the four of us on here. So Jen, anything to add there? Yeah, they are definitely more sophisticated than the four of us on there. Just the fact that you brought up Celsius. Okay, sorry, Zach. You're maybe you're more sophisticated than hey, the three of us. I was us. saying I was dumb as bricks the other day, so I'm sticking with that. <laughs> I'm definitely far less sophisticated than the gigabrains doing the actual trades. But back to you. That's right. <laughs> the article referenced deep pocket saviors that are coming in to kind of try and stop this contagion, right? And they referenced Sam Bankman-Fried. And just the fact that you brought up Celsius, there was another article published on CoinDesk, I think two hours ago, that said FTX was looking to buy Celsius, but there was a $2 billion hole on their balance sheet. And that's crazy. I mean, during the bull market, we speak to retail investors. We tell them not to do exactly what we see the institutions doing now. And it's like, we've spent so much time on the show telling people not to FOMO into deals, not to FOMO into things, not to over leverage themselves as individuals. And now we see these massive institutions kind of doing the same thing that we're telling retail investors not to do. And it is sad. And I think people watching should not follow suit. Zach, I'll pass it off to you. 
I saw George's hand go up, so it's back down to him. Uh, I have a question. Okay, I have a lot of images that come in my head when I hear the term hole in balance sheet. What is what, what does that mean? Is there some poor first year analyst that was trying to balance the balance sheet and they didn't know what to do it, so they just left a balance sheet unbalanced? Or is there literally a physical sheet of paper that has a hole in it? We don't know what that liability line is. What does a hole in a balance sheet even mean? Is there actually that much money unaccounted for and they have an unbalanced balance sheet? Like who's auditing these people? Anyone know? Does anyone know? Hey, we didn't report that one. I got no knowledge of what that story is about. So I I could not speak to that one. But hey, Sandali wants to say something. Yeah, I mean, someone just recently asked me, is it that these firms were severely unprepared for a bear market? Or is it that market is now bigger and there's a lot more money involved, a lot more people watching and taking notice? Or is it both? And as we've been saying, I think it's like a lot of those things. It could also be like mismanagement and, you know, lending, going out of control in the market is bigger and more people are watching and companies should have been preparing to take responsibility for their immense growth during the bull market. And all I can say is we might see a few more of these stories and we'll see how various companies kind of navigate through these waters at different degrees. And I think Coindesk will definitely be there to cover the developments in the cool and very responsible way it has been doing so far. So I'll just plug in to check out the Coindesk coverage of all these companies and what's been going on lately, which has been nuts. And, you know, we've been there on it, asking the right questions. Zach? Yeah, I mean, we've been doing this with like BlockFi. We had a big scoop on BlockFi over the weekend. We've been following the Voyager story very closely. I feel like the Voyager story is kind of the analog here, right? So Voyager made a big old loan to Three Arrows Capital, something like $600 million, a combination of a lot of Bitcoin and a lot of USDC. And sure enough, Three Arrows Capital wasn't able to satisfy the terms of that loan. So they had to kind of go begging a little bit. And FTX was able to say, okay, here's some capital, make it right. And so I think what we're seeing is people like Sam Beckman fried step in, The implication here is that digital currency group itself could step in and help out Genesis should they need it. But to George's original point, and this is suggested in the article, these bets may have been hedged, right? So the ultimate like net loss may not be something that is ultimately going to make a huge difference in terms of Genesis operations. But again, they do have that backstop, whether it's in this instance, likely DCG, but other firms are finding those backstops elsewhere, people who are in a position to extend that capital in a time of need with some strings attached. It's going to be interesting to see who and if there's a next shoe on this one. I have the next story. Singapore's central bank is not happy with crypto hedge fund Three Arrows Capital, or 3AC as we know it, for allegedly misleading it with false information. So the monetary authority said 3AC failed to disclose ownership information and exceeded the threshold set for assets under management. The fund was supposedly allowed to manage funds for 30 investors, not exceeding 180 million USD. But the bank lays out multiple periods where 3AC allegedly went over those requirements. The central bank also said that 3AC didn't notify changes in directorships and shareholding positions within the required timeline and, you know, lays out some other details about the transfer of management of its fund to an entity in the British Virgin Islands. 3AC was founded in Singapore in 2012, and as Coindesk has been covering in detail, it has suffered some heavy losses during this market downturn. The fund was reported as possibly insolvent earlier this month after it saw around 400 million USD in liquidations. We've, of course, seen the damage spill over to other platforms from Voyager to now Genesis. So I'm going to throw this to Zach first to see if he can add some more color. 
I think the Singapore crypto scene is not not looking good. Singapore was supposed to be like the hub of crypto. And I think like, you know, they were sort of like, okay, we'll we'll take a cautiously optimistic approach to regulating this industry. And sure enough, there's been a few black eyes with three arrows capital probably being the biggest black eye of them all, right? And I think what we've seen is the monetary authority of Singapore sort of tighten its stance on crypto regulations. That's something that Sandli and others on the regulatory team have been covering pretty thoroughly. So I think that in terms of the broader scene there, this is a setback for Singapore. And it's going to be interesting to see if another municipality in the Far East can sort of harness some of that energy. Because I think Singapore has made many a statement in recent months suggesting that they're going to be far more cautious about the crypto industry going forward. And this one, you know, this warning, right? This, hey, you shouldn't have done that. This reprimand certainly is in line with that. I'll toss it to Jen, though, for her thoughts. George's hand went up. George, I'll go after you. I'll go. Okay, so we already kind of touched on this. Almost all of our stories are tied to three hours capital. You know, that sucks for them. And I know very little about the regulatory inner workings of Singapore. So who knows how much trouble to actually get into. But this might be a break for them because, you know, and this is going to be sound so mean, but they might not be over that AUM number that they cited in the article, right? What's it, 150 million AUM? Like if they're insolvent, they're not above that anymore. So like, they're going to get in any trouble. Does the monetary authority of Singapore have you know, a lot of teeth. What's going to happen here? Does anyone know? No? No, George. I don't think I really... We don't know. Uh, Stop asking yeah. us if we know anything beyond this. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Jen. I think, I think this Go is Jen. just a lesson. <laughs> I think this is a lesson that speaks towards playing nice with regulators. The regulation in Singapore, outside of Singapore, is very unclear. And when something goes wrong, And I think we just need to assume no matter where we're playing in this industry, something will eventually go wrong. It might not be to the extent that Three Arrows Capital is experiencing right now. But when something goes wrong, if you haven't played by the rules that have been set out, the regulators are going to be looking at you under a magnifying glass and find all those things. So I think this is just a lesson in playing nice. If you have registered with the regulator, just look at what you are required to do and do those things so that when something goes wrong, you can say, hey... We did this, or at least we tried. Yeah, exactly. And to what Zach said, this is also on the regulator a little bit, right? Singapore is often held as like a standard for regulating crypto. They're very, very careful by reputation. But here, I think the big point to take here is that there were gaps where 3AC overexceeded. There were limitations on how much money they can handle. And the regulators sort of missed that. It's like, what were you watching? This is like one of the biggest platforms in the world in this industry. Like, you know, how did you miss this? All these other details about changes in management and things like that, like those are minor things and can distract from the bigger point, which is the capital issue and what they were doing with that. So I agree with Zach that this is a kind of setback for Singapore as a regulator. So it would be interesting to see how it responds to this market downturn and all these like insolvencies and liquidations I mean, it would be sad, but if they go even more restrictive on crypto than, you know, they already tried to be, it would be kind of sad. But given what has happened, that's something we could expect. George. Last thing, all the regulators had to do was go on Twitter and see Suzu be like, hey, man, 100,000 ETH is just dust to me. And that's a lot of money. So, you know, he's saying stuff like that. Anyway, I think Jen's next. So go ahead. Twitter, man. I'll let Zach have the final thought before we move on. I was just saying, there's like a lot of sad identified wallets where it's Suzu sending $1,500 <laughs> and people being like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. oh, he flew too close to the sun, that three arrows capital, and he crashed down right. to earth. But anyway, a human tale. All right, Jen, take it away. 
All right. If you use OpenSea, you have to pay attention to this story. They are telling people to watch out for phishing emails after an employee of customer.io, which is a platform for managing email newsletters and campaigns, leaked a list of customer information to an outside party. So I know there has been so much news in the past 24 hours, and we're all struggling to keep up with it. But yesterday on Twitter, there was a bunch of people sharing an email that they received saying that their board ape had been delisted from OpenSea and to click here to learn more. So the board apes, I mean, they're just being targeted again, but this isn't only specific to them. This is anyone who operates on OpenSea could have been compromised. Suddenly, I'm going to pass this down to you. OpenSea really doesn't seem to be able to catch a break. Yeah, no. And and I've said this before. I mean, NFT platforms really have to bear the brunt of kind of not just crypto savvy people, but basically everybody coming on and trying to enjoy what NFTs have to offer. And they really, really have to do better. I, I don't know. I'm having like one of those, what are you doing crypto kind of days? But, and I feel bad <laughs> with saying this, but it's true that crypto has a problem with fixing problems. I think like the same things keep happening over and over and over again. And we're like, oh, look at these things that happened before and people lost their money and their privacy. <laughs> but like, Nothing gets fixed. And crypto wants regulators, for example, the SEC, to take the industry seriously. And not going to lie, I mean, this kind of stuff doesn't exactly make it easier. I mean, Amazon allegedly had like a similar issue like this in 2020, and they fired the person responsible. And we haven't really heard about that ever again. I mean, not yet. And we don't want to talk about what they actually do with our data, these big tech platforms. But, you know, we haven't heard about something similar happening again. And there is a way to do that. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to put in the money, the time, the effort to fix these problems. Sorry, that was my rant. George, I'm going to toss it off to you. (laughs) Web3 is at it again. And I'm already on Web5, guys. So... How about you keep up, right? Oh we don't even gosh, have we don't even have oh, we don't even have emails okay. over there, guys. We just classic, manifest NFTs on, on tarot, using our lightning wallets on nodes <laughs> as logging credentials, using motherboards we soldered in our parents' basement, guys. Keep up. I have a question though. OpenSea keeps catching L's. Is there really a good competitor out there? Or is OpenSea still the King, Queen, Jack, Ace, all the other cards too? Anyone know? I don't know any other NFT platforms. OpenSea is the big dog. They're huge. I mean, they're big one on Ethereum. I mean, other ones are like on Solana. I think Magic Eden is on Solana. They've Mm -hmm. slowly been creeping into Ethereum land. But yeah, OpenSea is where the party is. And I think a lot of people use it. But hear me out. This is why wallet based (laughs) logins rule, right? You don't need to give OpenSea your email. You don't have to give them your email. Sign in with your wallet, seize your assets, you're there. So I think there is a case to be made here for, okay. We have a legacy system in terms of login where you have to provide your email, your mother's maiden name, where you grew up, I don't know, your social security, whatever, right? You have to do that over and over again at every place that you go to use a service. But on the wallet-based model, the wallet just kind of follows you around the Web3 and you can access these services a bit more seamlessly without having to worry about breaches such as this. Because honestly, is OpenSea really at fault here? Like, It seems like some dodgy third-party thing that's like not really great and sucks for them that they have to deal with it. But it does make the case for like, okay, we get a wallet-based sign-on mechanism, we get wallet-to-wallet communication, and that way we can avoid some of these honeypots of personal data that inevitably get breached and used for bad stuff, like trying to steal someone's hard-earned JPEGs. So I don't know. That's what I see as sort of at essence here. But hey, I could be just talking crazy. 
Sandly put her hand up, so I'm tossing to her first. Yeah, I'm just going to quickly pop in. I think this was like for a newsletter. And yeah, if you hired someone to handle your newsletter and send it to people, you know, you have to pick them responsibly. Apart from that, like the fact that I have to give my phone number and my name and my email just to get like a newsletter is is alarming to me, as Zach said. I just don't understand why in this day and age, in Web 5 times. Yeah, no, Sandali, <laughs> you said exactly what I was going to say. I think, yes, connect via your wallet. You don't need to give any of your information to these platforms. But we've spoken about this on the show before. You know, NFTs are largely an entry point to crypto for a lot of people. And a lot of people are used to giving this information to different sites that they participate in. So I think there's like a little bit of an education barrier there. But suddenly, to your point, this was for a newsletter. And to give all that information just to receive a little newsletter sounds a bit crazy. But we need to wrap it up here. I need to say this is Zach's last day at Coindesk. Zach... You're going to be deeply missed, but not to worry, Hash fans. Zach is going to be on the Hash regularly starting in August for a new segment that they allowed me to create called Taco Tuesdays. What is going on? Where is Wendy? Oh, when you need her. She is the huge taco fan. We're going to have to send that to Wendy O for the Wendy O taco stamp of approval because, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's going to be my new job. I'm going to be the guy wearing the taco suit out by the truck. And then, you know, Control has been nice enough to invite me back to the hash every weekday starting in August after I take a little break. So that's nice. You guys appreciate that. I appreciate the roast here, guys. This is fun. This is fun times. But yeah, don't worry, hash fans. I'll be back. We'll be back August 1st on the hash after a quick little break gonna go do some things but it's gonna be good all right thanks for tuning in uh programming note we are off tomorrow off monday off tuesday back wednesday with the hash it's gonna be fun tune in then and we thank you for being here i'm zach sandalise here jen is here george is here check us out on the podcast network if you haven't already and we hope you have a great long weekend take it easy we'll see you soon Happy long weekend. Bye, guys. This is Zach. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.